Alrighty, this is According to Callus, and we're going to be discussing, oh, I can give you a number of different titles, Why I'm Not a Conservative, Conservatives Can't, or Never Trust a Conservative. But we're going to skip all those and just say why conservatives don't care about the Constitution. How about that? The answer is, it's not always convenient for them. And honestly, I think a good number of them seem to forget. So, let's jump right in. Okay, we all know progressives see the Constitution as being a speed bump at, if anything, to doing their progressive duties. And I may have mentioned in an episode or two how conservatives don't successfully conserve anything And they barely contest most progressive things. And when they do, they just put on a show. And then 20 years later, they defend what the progressives have pulled off, whether it was through the courts or a law. So therein lies the rub. Now we're going to explore some of this. Well, in my various uh, podcasts and uh, books that I've read and over the years, I've come to the unmistakable impression that to call myself a conservative would be to do everybody a disservice. To call myself a libertarian is probably no longer accurate, though I would say that I'm probably more libertarian in belief and nature than a good number of people that run around with big L libertarian after their name. Um... I see myself as a liberty advocate, but at the end of the day, I think the simplest explanation is to just call myself a constitutionalist. And I think a lot of people that self-identify as being a conservative are in fact constitutionalists. Those are usually the people that get upset with the latest letdown or the latest rhino action, whether it's Liz Cheney or Mitt Romney or our very own Van Taylor. The problem is, is When they do this and they throw out this epitaph, Rhino, they don't explain why and they don't generally give a good rationale other than they did something that I don't like. And in that case, what distinguishes us from the progressive in their name calling? I'll give you a second to think about it. Well, did you think it, Mitt? Did you come up with an answer? Well, I'll tell you. If you're going to defend somebody who beat you six months ago and now all of a sudden you're feeling morally obligated to defend it, where are your principles? Where does it matter? I mean, there are several important writers that have been referenced, as I said, in books and podcasts where they talk about uh, who these guys are, right? There are several of them that were quite famous at their time. And to think that they would go along with what passes as being a conservative these days is just disappointing to me, right? I mean, even libertarians seem to have a certain amount of respect for the old school conservatives, right? They, I guess, they appreciated the fact that there was a process there, that there was a 
there was a um, moral standard which they came up with what they believe. And we're not seeing that anymore. We're not seeing it held to a standard. You know, it's got to be embarrassing for, <laughs> well, for starters, there's Russell Kirk, right? He wrote The Conservative Mind. There's any number of guys that came after him or built upon that or had concerns for the social structure, concern for what made up America, what was important in family, what was important in society. And not that you have to agree, but you you can at least admit or admire the fact that they had this whole mindset, this whole worldview thought out and put together. Now, nowadays, they don't do any of that, in my opinion. Nowadays, it's whatever's fashionable, what whatever is the latest thing that they can do to buy them a little credibility with those that would normally hate them. You know, Tom Woods references the three by five card of permissible conversation, Um he also references the idea that there's like this fashionable set, right? That all the good libertarians, they want to be uh, invited to take part in this stuff. Uh, you know, the Beltway libertarians, if you will. And conservatives, even Rush Limbaugh, refer to the, uh, or the former Rush Limbaugh, right? The late Rush Limbaugh, refer to the idea of the cocktail party set, right? If we're not their kind of conservative, if we don't do what they consider conservative is, then they don't get invited to the cocktail parties. They don't get to go hang around these luminous individuals. You know, and I got to say, to some extent, there's something to be said for playing nice, for getting along with fellow man, for not tossing somebody out on their backside because you disagree with them or there's this moral issue here that you don't see eye to eye on. There's something to be said for being objective and fair to all those people you deal with. There's something to be said for a creative difference or a different worldview that looks at something slightly different that you know, taking the moment to think like they think, to walk the mile in their shoes, to to wrap your head around why somebody might have a different viewpoint. Now, ultimately, you want to have that discussion. You want to be able to come up to something where you are on the same page or at least in the same book. But if you're always going to be catering to somebody that ultimately wants your destruction, maybe not directly, but certainly indirectly, and by destruction, I mean taking away a society, taking away a country to basically eliminate anything that makes anybody unique. They're not doing you any favors. They want to take what is there and they want to leave you with what is left, which in many cases is not worth having. Is there any wonder why every socialist society is in ruins? And if it's not, it's because they've been able to parasite off the existing society long enough that they just haven't killed their host yet. Now, I know capitalism has its problems. And that's one of the things that's ironic is conservatives now defend the various 
parasites of socialism that have embedded themselves within the body of a capitalistic society. In a free market society, we allow and tolerate and encourage more of those because, God forbid, we don't want to give up those boomer voters that are counting on their Social Security. We don't want to give up those people that are old that depend on that money that they're getting. If not for their Social Security, what would they do? Well, that is a problem, isn't it? That is something that we have to consider, isn't it? But shall we not just look at it as a temporary evil? Shall we not consider that this is something that our predecessors saddled us with? We see the problems with it and we look to move beyond it or look forward. How do we fix this issue? Instead, we just pile on. We pile on and we pile on and then our conservative friends come out and defend the latest change, the latest attempt, the latest method of kicking it on down the road. Now, what are they conserving? Absolutely nothing. Are they doing us any favors? I think not. Yet, we have to defend them because they call themselves a conservative or they have an R after their name. So immediately, they must be on our team. They must be doing what we want them to be doing. But clearly, that is not the case. Clearly, they're working against us. Yet, we fail to acknowledge that. And why is that? Therein lies the rub. Why indeed is that the case? Well, because it works against us at some point would be my guess. Because if we're not going to have at least a team that we can choose, we're left out in the cold. So we're we're clear we're not progressives, but if you declare yourself a conservative, that means you get find yourself defending progressive ideas that are 20 years old or 30 years old. And that's just not satisfactory. And But you say, I'm not willing for this, or I don't think this is the case, or I don't support this. Well, that leaves you a couple of options. You can declare yourself a libertarian, but then you have to deal with the problem that libertarianism isn't even sure what they stand for at this point. I mean, they failed the test many, many times in the last year, and they're not even willing to recognize a border which defines a set of people that live in an area. It seems to me that if you won't define a border, how do you define private property? If you can't define private property, how do you define a house? It's a problem. So that leaves constitutionalist. If you declare yourself a constitutionalist, that means that you believe that the founding document, the highest law of the land, is something that's worthy of distinction, that's something that's worthy of defending, which is something that's worthy of adhering to. But again, therein lies the rub. There are those among us who believe that it's some kind of sacred document, that it was heaven-sent, God-inspired. Well, maybe, maybe some of those men that were there were God-inspired. Maybe some of those individuals were indeed God sent. I don't know. I wasn't there and neither were you. But I would think that would be a very idolatrous position to hold the Constitution to the same standard or a similar standard as you would uphold the Bible. Now, again, if you're not a Christian, you know, you're a pagan or you believe in a different religion, Islam, Hindu, Latter-day Saints, whatever, that's fine. You you can have your difference of opinion. This is largely centered on the idea of a Christian worldview, right? 
And if you subscribe to Christianity, you have to be really careful when you start venerating things that drifts over into idolatry. And as much as I might support the Constitution and think it's a great thing, I'm really uncomfortable with holding it as a holy writ. But yet, there are those that are on our team, if you will, that seem to drift into that. Some of them you may know. Some of them have national notoriety. That's very difficult. It's very difficult to just accept that as somehow they're right. And I can't and I won't. I will take it that is the highest law of the land. I'll take it that if we will just follow it, we'll be in a much better shape. If we would just agree that these are the rules to the game and we're all going to play it by these rules, we would all be in much better shape. Now, maybe this comes back from, you know, some deep ingrained values that I have, right? I like rules, but I like consistent rules and I like as few rules as possible. And in that case, the constitution comes up a big winner. But when you have to pass a 10,000 page bill, that's going to then decide that, oh, you know what? There's 40 million people here that aren't citizens, but that's okay. We're just going to go ahead and make them citizens. Oh, you know what? We haven't spent yearly enough trillions of dollars this year. We're just going to go ahead and spend another three and a half trillion dollars. Oh, you know what? We haven't done enough to nationalize every state in the way they do things. So we're just going to go ahead and do that. That's a problem. Now, you don't have to agree with all of it. You don't even have to fully acknowledge the extent of the problem. But when you have a law that's 10,000 pages long and they're given two weeks to look it over, can you not at least recognize there are going to be some problems there? I mean, indeed, the governing document is put in a little pamphlet that uh, was provided by a good friend of mine who is also an elected official. And I think... I think it might be on 30 pages. The entire Constitution, including the amendments. And it's kind of frustrating to think that there's all this code, the federal code, and that's supposed to take the place U.S. code for this and that, and that's the governing law. No, 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 it's not, because... Honestly, if the Constitution didn't grant that authority to the federal government, they have no business even interfering with it. Just like Resident Joe. Yes, he made his dictatorial announcements of the various things he's going to do. And because he's not directly doing them, he's doing them through a government agency, which is then going to manipulate and abuse private industries and private businesses to carry out their directives that somehow it's okay now. Well, no. No, it's not. If somebody were to come and force a medical procedure on me against my will, they're violating my body. They're violating my personal sovereignty. Just because their government doesn't make it okay, just because it's a private business doesn't mean it's okay. If they're forcing me to do something and they're putting me in such a choice that I don't have the convenient ability to say not no, but heck no, they're violating my body. And, you know, for decades, we've heard how Roe v. Wade is going to, you know, destroy women's rights and they're going to not value women. And, you know, we can't, we must protect this at all costs. It's about women's health care after all. Yes. And I've mentioned on more than one occasion that it has better than 50% mortality rate. 
That is, if two go in, one comes out. Sometimes none come out. And on very rare occasion, two still come out. So don't tell me that's about bodily autonomy. Don't tell me that's about protecting yourself. You did something that was probably foolish and now you have a consequence. The good news is, is it's not permanent. I mean, if you want to abdicate your responsibilities, you can do that. If you want to hand that off to a family member or extended family member or somebody in your community, you can do that. Now, is it harsh? Yeah. Does it sound mean? Yeah. Does the guy, the other partner in this, get off largely scot-free? Yeah, unless you don't want him to, and then he's stuck for 18 years. But in either case, it's not a good situation. And yeah, yeah, I know there's 2% or 2.5% the rape and incest issue, right? Okay. But like your mommy taught you, two wrongs don't make a right. So somebody abused you, you end up pregnant, doesn't mean you get to go kill the baby. I'm sorry. But again, we're talking about what does the Constitution say about this, right? That's the highest law of the land. Everybody should be able to... It says nothing because the federal government is not delegated the responsibility of dealing with that. It's done at the state level. And it's only when people go running to the federal government to solve their problems. Now, we can say, well, progressives do that. Yes, but the conservatives do the same thing. That's the problem with conservatives. They think if they can just get the higher level government to side with them, it'll be okay. But it always ends up to come back and bite them in the butt. But if they were constitutionalists, if they were to follow the highest law of the land, if they were to observe the way things were and are, they wouldn't make these category errors. They wouldn't make bigger problems for themselves in the long run. But time and time again, they just think, if only we can win this court case, if only we can make this go our way, if only we could do this, and it's all going to be okay. And it never works that way. Let me tell you the big secret. Government loves it when you go to it to ask for its permission or its blessing or for it to make a decision for you. All government. They thrive on the fact that people can't or won't take care of themselves. All governments love a helpless populace, which is why they love Social Security, which is why they love all those other benefits that people look forward to taking, which is why they love gun laws, which is why they love all these rules and regulations and the tax rate. Here's something else to consider while we're on the same page. The federal government's not supposed to be able to tax you. Period. End of story. They're not even supposed to be able to tax businesses. Now, let's just say, for instance, you own a business and your business after everything is said and done, maybe makes 5% net net profit, which is to say that the owner for every $100 that that company takes in makes five bucks. Now, the bigger the company gets, the more spread out that gets. So if you're doing a billion dollars, 5%, 50 million, that's a lot of money. But then when you divide that by say a thousand shareholders, is it really that much money now? I don't know. Cause you also need that capital to expand. You also need that capital to invest in further products and innovations. But if I go and tell you as government, well, you know what? 
Mr. Business. You have made too much money this year. Yes, so we're going to punish you. We're going to charge you 5% more than we did last year. So now when Uncle Sugar was getting 20% of everything off the top. Oh, you say that they don't tax the net, they only tax the profit. Yeah, that doesn't quite work that way because they tax everything along the way. And they tax the income. They tax, let's just say there's tax for everything. So let's make it simple. That same widget that you were going to charge 10 bucks for, you now have to charge 10.50 and you say, "Oh, 10.50, that's not that much." Yeah, but that was only 5% on the finished product. Now you got to look at the 5% of every piece along the way. So now you're really probably looking at something that's I don't know, close to the neighborhood of 12 or 13 dollars. And then keep in mind, while all this is going on, that while last year your $10 would have spent like $10, this year it really only spends like $8. So now that it's $12, now you're looking at, what is that, 50% increase over what your $8, I'm sorry, $10 would spend like. So it's roughly a third of your value is gone just by that. And if my math is a little fuzzy or off, that's okay. I want you to double check me. I want you to look into it. I want you to consider what it's going to be like when they say, well, you made $100,000, Mr. Callisus, last year, which I don't, but just for argument's sake, I made $100,000 and previous years, you've only had to give us $20,000 so we don't arrest you, throw you in prison. This year, we're wanting $25,000. Now, also keep in mind that same $100,000 is really only spending like, say, eighty dollars or $90,000 this year. So on top of the fact that they devalued my money by 10%, they've now, instead of taking 20%, are taking 25%. So now who really gets the short end of this stick is me, the individual. Now, keep in mind when I go to take my same $75,000 that is really only spending by, let's say, and I'm going to go buy a product that last year would have cost me, let's say $2,000 because this year they had to charge an extra $5,000 or I'm sorry, an extra 5%. Now it's $2,200. Why? Well, because they're still going to get their profit margin and everybody along the same pipeline had to increase their cost by 5%. By the time it gets to me, it's closer to 20% more. So Now I've made less money because of inflation. They've taxed me more, well, because they can. And then when I go to buy a product, I'm having to pay more for it. So again, I ask you, who loses? Now, if we would follow the Constitution, which has a little bit to say about coining of money and who's supposed to have the control over the treasury and the money, it's not a private bank. It's not a group of people that can manipulate the value of my money and determine the cost of products by the usury that they charge. But Hey, you know, what do I know? I'm just some guy. Again, if we were to follow constitution, we wouldn't have this problem again. This is why I'm a constitutionalist, but of course the same conservatives that were upset about the federal reserve system back in say 1914, are now just fine with it. We need it because it works and it stabilizes. And in fact, it really does none of the sort. And we need that tax money because we wouldn't be able to fund all these great projects. 
<clears throat> I don't know, like endless wars, foreign intervention, um, lots of prisons. Yeah, those are all good conservative things, right? Again, if you're going to call yourself a conservative, maybe you ought to consider what does it mean to be a conservative? If you're con- going to consider you're like, you like what Russell Kirk said, you like what some of the guys that followed him thought and said, do you really think they would still consider themselves a conservative? You know, there's plenty of articles that have been written that why I'm not a conservative, why I'm not a liberal, why I'm not a progressive, why I'm not a libertarian. I'm not going to tell you why you should be anything. I'm not even going to tell you why I'm not something or why I am something. What I want you to do is evaluate it for yourself. I want you to take the words I've said. I want you to give it some thought. Then I want you to research me. I want you to look up what I've said. And yeah, you know, if I get some of the little details wrong, you know, give me a little grace. I am doing this off the top of my head. But if I'm close, if I'm more accurate than not, then maybe you need to reevaluate just what do you think and why do you think it? And if you think, well, Stephen, you got this all wrong, man, for this, this, and this, this is your opportunity. Go make a comment. Go respond. Tell me where I'm wrong and where I got it wrong. Tell me what I missed. Or if you think I wasn't harsh enough, tell me that too. Why? Because I'm here to have a conversation. The entire show is a monologue. But there's plenty of ways for feedback, whether it's the email address, whether it's my phone number, which I've given out. And I'll do it again. It's 214-405-1852. Whether it's Facebook comments, whether it's Instagram, whether it's MeWe, whether it's Gab. I'm all those places. I don't spend a lot of time there. Because quite frankly, I just don't have that much time. But I do see the stuff on Facebook and I and I do appreciate it. I, I do appreciate the fact that not only did you take 20 minutes to listen to my podcast, because you should be listening at a faster speed than normal speed. And even if you can't, it's still a half an hour to 35 minutes of your time. I appreciate the time that you put in that, but put a response in. You're not going to offend me. I mean, you start calling me names. I'll just delete you out. But I mean, if you come in with a valid argument or a rebuttal or a question, that's part of the show. That's part of the program. We want to be interactive. I've got not quite 125 of these done. I've made an investment of my time, of my energy, of my resources to spend trying to get people to think for themselves, trying to encourage people to question what they're being told. You know, again, I, I might have mentioned this a time or two before, but there was always that thing, you know, we're supposed to question authority or not trust anybody over 30. Well, I'm over 30. I'm not an authority. So you can question me and I won't take offense. In fact, I want you to question me. Do it in a nice, polite manner and I'll be happy to respond. I'll be happy to interact with you. I think we all learn more. We all take away more if we will just take the time to invest. If we'll just take the time to look into what do we get out of this? What value is there in having this discussion? It's not about whether or not you agree with me 100%. It's about knowing why you believe what you believe and being able to have a conversation and articulate it. So when I say, why be a conservative? What's in it for you? I'm not insulting you. I know a lot of great people that would say, well, I'm a conservative. Then they might say, well, no, I'm a patriot. And I want them to say, 
No, I'm a constitutionalist. I want them to think to themselves, what do I really believe is the standard? Now, if you're a pagan or you know, you're not a Christian, I don't expect you to stand on the Bible. I get it. But this is something we should all be able to agree on. This is something that's about as nonpartisan, as non religious as possible. The Constitution. We can all agree that it's a level playing field and everybody gets treated fairly so long as we follow the rules. And I'll tell you, as I mentioned, I, I kind of like rules, but I like them few and I like them to be consistent. And it's very aggravating to me when you create a whole bunch of rules and then whole groups of people don't have to pay attention to them. Or on paper, they may have to follow them, but they don't. And nothing happens. That's a particularly egregious assault and offense to me, yet we see it all the time. And we're supposed to be okay with that. And quite frankly, I'm not okay with it. Quite frankly, I find it quite distressing that that's tolerated. But this is the world we live in. But the Constitution solves that if we will just follow it, if we'll just trust it. And you know what? There are a great number of people that spend a lot of time talking about it. But the two most highly respected and favored people that do a regular podcast that talk about the Constitution and liberty values, and, and I'll add a third, but the first one is Chris Ann Hall, the Chris Ann Hall show. Second one is Tom Woods and his Tom Woods show. The last one is the Liberty Report by Ron Paul. And let me preface it by saying the great Ron Paul. Now, most of the time he deals with a specific issue and he spends a lot of time talking about foreign policy. But that is also directly applicable to the Constitution. And I would tell you, I would encourage you, if you can't do those three, if you think they're maybe too libertarian for you, maybe that's a little scary then that leaves you my next favorite standby. That's the Brian McClanahan show. And Brian McClanahan has his own designation. And it's not libertarian. I think it would be fair to say that if I called him a constitutionalist, he would not be offended. But again, that's the Brian McClanahan show. Those are four shows that you can listen to and you can up your education. You can up your understanding of both the Constitution and the history of our country, as well as understand the liberty associated with that and the liberty guaranteed and the limitations on government. So I advise you, if I'm not your cup of tea, listen to any one of those four people. If you find me somewhat entertaining, definitely informative, hopefully a little educational, then I would all I ask for now is like and share my show. I'd like to build this up. I would like to have some level of audience in McKinney, in Collin County specifically, but certainly in all of Texas, because Texas matters. The future is dependent upon Texas. And I have foregone my normal Texas Tuesday show. I'll probably pick it up on Wednesday, but this is what I'm bringing you tonight. What exactly do constant, what exactly do conservatives conserve? That in is the question. And all too often, the answer is whatever the progressives managed to win 20 years ago. And that's not my idea of a winning strategy. And with that, my friends, this is According to Callus, and I will see you on the other side.